Welcome to the New Vision Podcast. In 2020, a New Vision undercover journalist traveled to United Arab Emirates to investigate the realities of girls traveling to work as maids in Dubai. This time, New Vision got another undercover journalist to go through a licensed company and find out if regulations apply. The project, which took more than a year, reveals hallowing experiences of girls in detention camps in the center of Kampala, unacceptable mistreatment, violation of human rights, corruption, Sex and drugs are going on under the nose of civil leaders and security organizations. We now bring you this series. Download the podcast episodes on Vision Digital Experience app on Play Store and App Store. Episode 8 I started this process of traveling to Saudi Arabia in August 2021. I was assured the travel would be in a matter of days, but eight months later, I was with 200 other girls, patiently waiting for the opportunity. We were housed in a hostel in Tuba, Colombido, where as many girls were brought in as those who were leaving to go for Saudi Arabia. Some girls would leave Saudi, our bosses would come and read the names of the girls selected to go. For those like me, whose names were not yet read, had to wait for infinity hoping and praying for an opportunity in the next batch. Just as my boss at the New Vision was proposing an end to the project, I was chosen for the pre-travel training instituted by the Ministry of Gender, Labor and Social Development. The training is supposed to groom the girls who are traveling for house girl work in what to expect. Arab etiquette, courtesy, how to use home appliances, and how to save or remit money to Uganda from Saudi Arabia, among others. We completed it at Labour College of East Africa, Namwongo Campus on Bukasa Road. It was supposed to take two weeks, but our recruitment company, Zion, withdrew us after one week. We were then told to return home to prepare for our flights to the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. I asked Rosetti, a Zion supervisor whether the ministry wouldn't know that we cheated and blocked us at the airport and she laughed. Apparently, the owners of the training institution also work in the ministry. When we cut the training time, they saved money and still ensured we are cleared. These steps are erected in the way to create money avenues for themselves, I was told. On March 17th, Management at the college asked us to sign out that our training was done. We signed out and waited for Zion management to pick us. Aisha came the following day on 18th and asked us to contribute 5000 each for transport back to Zion offices in Kulambido. We paid and we were transported in eight taxis. When we got to the office, our bosses told us to go home for a week because if we were found at the premises the company would land into problems. Pre-departure orientation was supposed to be conducted for a period of not less than 14 days. According to the regulations, and a recruitment agency must deploy its domestic worker within the period of 30 days after the training. Also, the approval is submitted by the training institution to the ministry for approvals at least seven days before pre-departure orientation is conducted. 
The regulation further explains the ministry has the right to suspend accreditation of a pre-departure training of the institution if the institution does not conduct orientation for a period of 14 days. And if the institution submits false documents to the ministry or fails to submit to the ministry a schedule of the training to be conducted, its recruitment license would be revoked. The list Zion submitted to the training institution had 261 names, including those who joined us after we had started. We were told that the college would still have to wait for the two weeks before they submitted our certificates to the ministry for approval. On April 4th, I got a call from Zion saying I had been cleared and approved. I was therefore to report to the hostel at once, but I was supposed to go through HIV, pregnancy and hepatitis B tests before I would be admitted back to the hostel to wait for my visa. The Gulf Corporation Council, GCC Medical Examination, which I had done in August last year, had expired and I needed to do another. All migrant workers travelling to work in the six Gulf countries of Kuwait, Bahrain, Oman, Qatar, Saudi Arabia and United Arab Emirates needed a GCC medical. We called each other and discovered we were many who had been called. We were all excited until we arrived at the office in Kulambido. Shamim, one of the office administrators, told me that the company wanted to deal with those that have a valid GCC medical fast. Those of us whose medical certificates had expired had to wait. That was a freezing shot. Expired GCC is not a problem, but you will have to wait until we get money to pay Saudi embassy so your results can be updated. Do you know how much money we spent on each of you at the ministry for you to be approved? Shamim asked. Arrogant Christine was blaming me for expired results as if I was deploying myself. Yet, I knew many girls who traveled with expired GCC. There was a way they did it. Later, Ferras, the Arab boss who was deputizing Ahmed, told us that the company had bribed one million shillings for each of us who had expired GCC medical. He claimed that this money was paid to the Saudi Arabia embassy here in Uganda. On return to the hostel, Zion conducted a medical exam for pregnancy and HIV. A nurse took our samples and we had to wait for about 30 minutes before we got our results from Ferris. Those who tested negative were given cheats to be allowed back into the hostel. I never got to know how many failed or if there was any. I found the hostel full already and had to sleep in a security guard room with a colleague on a shared mattress. Girls were stranded, complaining of overcrowding, yet Zion was still bringing in more. But the air of travel excitement was high. While the excitement was about the financial expectations, there are additions like escape from hostile conditions of, say, bad marriages or debtors, or even just fast experience of travel by plane. Our bosses at Zion even used the excitement to instill discipline. The threat was always about cancelling our visa, sneaking out, noise at night, complaints or any sort. Disobedience of authority, among others, were threatened with cancellation. Two girls were actually ordered to remove used pads from a filled-up latrine that was being emptied. 
They used bare hands because they were threatened with trip cancellation. The other anticlimax was the overcrowding. The latrine was full and there was garbage everywhere. When we complained, Farah said it was because he was too busy procuring visas and booking air tickets. He then asked the security guard to allow a group of five to walk to the office, a distance of about 500 meters, and use the latrines there. The following day, Faras gave us a traveling schedule and asked us not to share it with anyone, especially our agents. He said some agents demand unrealistic pay from Zion and when the recruitment company refuses to pay, the agents come to the airport on the scheduled travel date to intercept their girls with weird complaints. He advised that it was in our interest to travel and leave the company to sort itself out with our agents. On May 4th, I was called back to the hostel and told that my visa was ready. But my passport was the old machine-readable one. I didn't have the e-passport. I was asked to pay 250,000 shillings to be helped with a new passport. We were 15 girls who needed new passports. Ahmed then told me he had someone in the Ministry of Internal Affairs who would help us get passports in less than three days. He sent our canteen operator, Zazifa, to collect 250 from each of us with an expired passport. There was frantic efforts to borrow from the girls on the list because failure to procure a new passport meant going to the queue. I got the money from office and we were told it would take us one week to get our passports. However, the next day we were told the passport books were out of stock in Kampala and plan B was to apply through elsewhere and they proposed Mbarara. For that, each one needed another 80,000 shillings for transport. We had to pay. Those who couldn't raise the money were given to Ida, one of the workers at Zion. Ida connected them to one Salim Magumba, who claimed to work with the Security and Ministry of Internal Affairs. Still, they were paid some money for priority processing. After that, everyone started dodging us. A week later, I was blocked at the gate because I asked the security guard for permission to go to the office to follow up on my passport updates. She told me our Arab bosses had given her instructions never to allow any girl moving out to ask about the passports. I got scared because I used to get this money from the new vision. And... Without a receipt or evidence of expenditure, it starts looking like I was taking advantage of the project to fleece the company, especially if what I claimed to pay for was not forthcoming. I later managed to find my way to the office. I was given the official receipt of 250,000 shillings instead of 550,000 shillings total we had paid. I was told bribe money has no receipt because it cannot leave evidence in its tracks. Even Magumba said there were no passports at the passport control center, that if they were there, there was no way he would have failed to get them. The scaring thing was that my visa was issued on April 28th and would expire three months from the date of issue. On May 16th, I was assured that passport books were out of stock but that I could get an emergency one at a cost. The man they gave me to get me through was Kenneth Akinyom, 
who claimed to be working with the Ministry of Internal Affairs, he asked me to pay 650,000 shillings and he would get me the book in just one day. He took me through the process to show how he had no big share of the required 650,000 shillings because he had to reverse my application from Barara, where Zion had posted it, to Kampala. My supervisor advised me to pay him through his mobile number 0774-875-688, which brought the names of Kenneth Kinyom. The next day, he changed the deal. He assured me that there were no passports in Kampala and that it was not possible to transfer my application. But, he said, someone called Stephen would be waiting in Barra to work on me on the same day. On May 17th, I left Kampala with a 6 a.m. morning global bus to Mbarara. I was at the reception by midday. A brown receptionist lady with short, relaxed hair asked me what I wanted. I asked to see Stephen, but when she called him, he denied knowing or making any program with me or anyone about me. I called Kenneth and he asked me to wait. After waiting for about 20 minutes, a policeman in uniform came and asked for my application forms. He stamped on them as received and laid me to a room. There were two police officers, including Stephen, who still played stranger with me. He asked me what my clan was, did fingerprint and took my picture. He showed me where to sign and told me to leave. I asked him when I would get the passport and he told me to wait for the message. I boarded a bus back to Kampala on that same day because Kenneth in Kampala assured me he would pick my passport for me from Chambogo. The next day, Kenneth changed the story. He said he wasn't able to pick the passport. He asked me to go to Chambogo and a man called Ojara would give it to me. On May 18th, while in the waiting area in Chambogo, Kenneth sent me Ojara's phone contact as 077-3058828. I called Ojara and he told me to wait for the message calling me for my passport. He said he has no powers to pick it for me and that I had to pick it from Barara. I was mad. I told him all the false promises I had gone through and insisted Kenneth had said he, Ojara, would give me my passport in Chambogo. Ojara just replied that if I wanted my passport from Kampala, I had to write to the Commissioner of Immigration or the Minister of Internal Affairs first. I called Kenneth again because I had paid him to ensure I get it from Kampala and he confessed that he had also tried and failed. But that he would not refund any money because he claimed he had helped me enough already. He said the only person who would help me pick my passport from Kampala was the Minister of Internal Affairs himself. In anger, I decided to call the minister himself. I asked my colleague at the office to give me the phone contact of the Minister of Internal Affairs. It is General Kahinda Otafide. I dialed his number and he panicked. Tomorrow, Trivandus with Otafide. Does it help?